This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. joined today uh, and thank you by the way for joining us for the Thursday edition of what's usually a Tuesday edition of our podcast but you'll you'll understand why we're joined today by one of the most trusted and respected voices in all of journalism uh, he has written another book that I believe is going is destined to be yet another New York Times bestseller he has a handful of them this one um, at least for my money I'm going to lay aside the one about his Son, um, I, I thought this book was fascinating. Uh, thought I knew a little bit about this topic, but it turned out I did not. His name is Brett Baer, and uh, you're sitting there thinking what I'm thinking. He's already one of the busiest people in the entire world, and he's a scratch golfer, and he's a father and a husband. How does he have time to write a, like a deeply researched book about the origins of our country? Um, and I'm going to ask him that. But first, Brett Baer, welcome. I'd be crazy to not get your reaction to the two dominant stories right now number one what's happening in the middle east and number two uh the fact that the house of representatives uh doesn't have a speaker yeah trey it's great to be with you thanks for having me i i think uh first of all i've just been anchoring did uh, a couple hours each day with dana uh in the morning because bill hemmer was off and so you know real time coming in, these video feeds, these interviews uh, with family members that have been ripped apart, with um, people who have lost loved ones who are being held hostage in Gaza, and the stories that just tear your heart out, uh, visceral reactions um, as they are dealing with what is just horrific to describe, but you have to describe it. You can't look away from it because it's really important that the world learns what this was. This wasn't soldier on soldier. This was terrorists on family, terrorists on civilians, terrorists on babies in some case cases. And so I, I think this is the story of our time, really. I don't know where it's going to go. I think that the Israeli operation to rid uh, Gaza of Hamas is going to be ugly and very public and the world is going to have to buckle its seatbelt because I think we're in for uh, weeks of, of really tough, tough stuff. Uh, so that's, that's one story that I, I really think is, um, is, is there's no moral equivalency here. And uh, I, I'll be interested to see how the world reacts when this operation gets underway. The other story is uh, a house that's frozen. I do think the situation in the Middle East changes the dynamic. And um, I believe that they're going to get their house in order, no pun intended, um, in this vote uh, this week. And uh, if they do, they can put this behind them, but it's not a good look organizationally or to run the government uh, what happened the way it happened. You know, Brett, um, as you are apt to do, uh, you put your finger, I think, on the on the pulse of the country. 
no matter what else divides people, the notion that we're and, and, and we've seen some pretty prominent politicians like struggle with whether or not to side with terrorists or children who had their heads cut off. I, that, that that's just not a close call. And I, I, I look, I get that it's ninety nine to one, but the one percent uh, sometimes gets to disproportion. I mean, Harvard, thirty something Harvard University in student led groups, uh, you know, w- want to sympathize with with Hamas. I, I, I just find it stunning. But um, I agree. thank you for your insight on both of those. Um, now I want to move on to something that is happier, um, which is your brand new book. And you are a prolific author. How you managed to do that, I don't know. Uh, but but you are. This is like maybe four or five as I count them. Six. This one. Six. Okay. Well, now you know I went to law school. And, and well, am I? I love motive. I, 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 as any old washed up prosecutor does, I, I love to know what would motivate one of the busiest people in the world to write not just a book, but this book. And then I saw it. I saw it before I read the first chapter. These words, common ground, unifying. That was kind of your dedication is to is to people who are interested in those two precepts. Why? Why, why are those two important to you? Well, first of all, um, this process is a labor of love because I just got addicted to doing this. Um, when I started this journey into history, it's my fifth presidential book. I started with Eisenhower, uh, wrote about Reagan, wrote about FDR, Churchill and Stalin, and those three books about the, the Cold War, the uh, three days series. Then I wrote about Ulysses S. Grant. And this time I went went backwards to the founding. I have a great team. I've got a researcher that's unbelievable that finds these nuggets. And then we kind of digest these things. And my co-author and I bounce back and forth. Um, I spend a couple hours a night when I'm in writing mode uh, with a glass of wine and um, uh, a ping pong match with my co-author until we stitch together this quilt of um, this narrative that I think is very readable. And I've got the blueprint now that it's a little bit easier to do. All right. So that's the backstory of how I do it, why I do it. You're right. That dedication to finding common ground and unity, which is what George Washington really embodied. He did in the founding of our country. Arguably, we would not have a country tray if it wasn't for George Washington. Um, And I thought that in this time, when we're so partisan, so divided, it's important to remember that our country has been in really dark places before. And we've managed to come together uh, in the toughest times and find a way forward. In 1876, Ulysses S. Grant um, held the country together from falling back into a possible second civil war. At the beginning of our country, we almost didn't have a country. People don't remember that after the Revolutionary War and the win against the British, the colonies were fighting with each other. They didn't agree on much of anything. The Articles of Confederation loosely held the country together, but they weren't working to the point that a lot of people said, you know what, it might be better just go back under British rule. Um, that's the spot where this soda straw look at history, the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia and George Washington leading that, um, I think is important to look back to so that we can kind of look to the future. You know, Brett, you put your finger on 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 the importance of us knowing our own history. There is so much, I guess I'll include myself, but there's so much that Americans take for granted that 
Of course, things are the way they are, because what other way could they possibly have been? But you write about these points of contention back then that really did threaten this this experiment in self-governance before it ever kicked off. If you were a journalist covering this, was there a point when you were writing this or if you had been present when you would have concluded, I just don't think we're going to make it? Yeah, there were multiple points where they almost just punted and said, you know what, this isn't going to work. Let's just go back to the Articles of Confederation and see if we can stitch it together. Um, They started this convention saying, maybe we'll just tweak what we have already. But they ended up going in there, very smart minds um, from different places, different backgrounds, and said, let's throw this out and build a new document, build a new government. And I say, you know, think about this. So George Washington is the head of this. After they get the Constitution and the formation of what it looks like, then they have to get it ratified, which is another major step as the rules that are written in the Constitution. And the fact that that happens, Washington calls it a miracle. But then he becomes the first executive, the first American president. There is no other person that puts a note in the desk saying, here's what you got to do. There is nobody passing the torch. He is the torch. And so makes the the way that we understand the presidency is because of George Washington. And his most significant thing is at the end of two terms when he steps aside and thereby there wasn't any limit yet on term You know, terms, he could have stayed in power, but he chose not to. And the peaceful transfer of power is uniquely American. Uh, So I, I just look at this and in a narrative form, learning more about who Washington was. He really was a reluctant leader. He wanted to get back to Mount Vernon and to Martha and the farm. Um, but he stepped up every time. And I think there's just a lot to learn about it in a narrative way that is not a history book. It's not a thousand pages. You know, you could read it at the beach over three or four days. And I think come at the back end of it afterwards and say, I learn a lot about how we were founded. No, it does not read like a history book. I mean, it is extremely well sourced. I mean, the the footnote section is longer than most books I've read. <laughs> um, it, it really reads more like a miniseries, like something that would be on Netflix or Hulu because of the the characters. And 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 I want to start with Washington, although he's certainly not the only character exposed in the book. Popular war and military hero. And I, then I, I sit there and think this day and age, you know, quarter of a millennia later, um, I'm not sure that serving in the military is much of an advantage. I, I don't want to say it's a disadvantage, but I don't know that you get very high marks for having served. Um, I, I wonder, have you ever thought about that and when and how that happened, that we would honor Look, we, we would have let him become king because mm-hmm. he was a, a war and military hero. We're going to talk about that in a second. But nowadays, I just don't know that there's any advantage to having served in the military. And that's kind of happened in your and my lifetime. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, there have been uh, people in the military who have stepped up and and gone on to political positions. And, and I think we're better as a country for it because they have a unique perspective uh, having served. But you're right. As far as an advantage uh, politically, if we st- look at the people running for president on the Republican side, for example, uh, the only person who served is uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. It, and you see time and time again, election after election, where that's not a critical thing. At this time, way back when, uh, because of uh, 
Washington's popularity after winning the Revolutionary War, he was, of course, the figure that everyone talked about, looked at, thought about. You know, you fast forward to Ulysses S. Grant. He was the figure after the Civil War that everybody circled around. Then you fast forward to World War II, Dwight Eisenhower. He was the winning general in World War II, and that's the figure everybody talked about. As you forward past that, and then you get into Vietnam, etc., it loses some of that punch about you know military figures and their political prowess. It may turn back, um, but right now you're right to point out that it's not the same as it ever was. Yeah, I actually served with two people who were held POW for long periods of time. And I mean, you think about something that would stop me or you in our tracks. If we were to meet someone who was held as a POW, um, it, 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 it just I don't know. They it just something seems to have changed. I do want to I, I want to ask you this about Washington. He, you wrote about his political allies and his opponents. What did you learn about who he partnered with, who he was at ideological loggerheads with, and how he may have interacted with his perceived political enemies or opponents? Yeah, if he had a problem, uh, it was not a personal problem, usually. You know, he had disagreements with George Mason. He had, um, you know, battles uh, back and forth, but it was on substance, and he... It just comes off in all the writings, and this is not just from him, but from other people, as somebody who is somber, uh, who is thoughtful, uh, and is not a bomb thrower, is not somebody who's swinging for the fences. A lot of the other people at the time were. They were grandstanders, and uh, he was not. You know, he worked with Hamilton, who was fiery, um, a great writer, order. He was not. Uh Thomas Jefferson, a fantastic writer uh, who had a real problem with Hamilton, but he managed to work with both of them and put them in his cabinet and figure out a way to go forward. Uh, ben Franklin was this jovial kind of figure who was well-respected overseas, much different outgoing personality than George Washington, but they had a really interesting relationship that was, you know, very helpful uh, to the forming of the country. And... Madison, obviously, uh, who was his closest ideological kind of friend uh, and who really stirred this process forward of getting everything on paper and getting a government together. Uh, you do touch upon Hamilton and Jefferson and their rivalry um, in in your book. And, and it was, I mean, you just laid out, they were very different. One was much more bombastic and overtly ambitious and the other probably ambitious, but less, less so. I, I do wonder how Washington was able, I guess Reagan to a certain extent was able to do this too for those in our lifetime, but to get competing rival factions to maybe calm down a little bit for the betterment of the country. That's a gift to be able to do it. Real gift. And, you know, we could use a lot of that now, you know, to listen first, to listen first to the other side. You may totally disagree with them, but listen to them. Let them say it. Let them do it. Say their piece. Um, one of the things that I get from the whole experience is that 
we shouldn't be afraid of dissent. Dissent was baked into the cake of our founding, of our democracy, our representational republic. And dissent is good, but dissent balanced with union and eventually getting to a common ground is the best. And that's what Washington was exceptional at. I think that there are people in our country that are trying to do that, even though we're in this stir the pot, post on social media, you know, fire up the base kind of world. Um, and if we can get to that understanding that dissent is fine, but eventually you got to get someplace, uh, I think that would make us make us better. You're listening to the Trey Gowdy podcast, more of our conversation with the anchor of Special Report. Mr. Brett Baer is coming up. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You use a word on the, as part of the subtitle, is exactly the right word, fragile. That just how fragile the piecing together of this country and the Constitution was, moving from the articles. If you were sitting down with your children, or you were sitting down with other young people who just think, well, of course, I mean, we've always been like this. What else would we have been? What are some of the things you would point to to say we almost didn't make it? Mm-hmm. This was a point of, of, of disagreement that almost kept us from becoming us. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a big disagreement in the Constitutional Convention about states' rights versus federal powers um, and what the balance was going to be. There was a big disagreement about representation in the government from big states and small states. And you would think, oh, that's been worked out. And it was a compromise that almost broke the whole thing up. I mean, Rhode Island versus Pennsylvania um, literally almost threw the whole thing into turmoil and, but they figured their way through it and they got the representation in the Senate and they got the representation in the house. Um, how the executive looked was there was a real concern about making sure it didn't look like a monarchy or sound like a monarchy. And, you know, the controversial part about the constitution that people who really have a hard time looking back at history and say that we should change things, you know, slavery Here's a document that deals with liberty. It's the greatest legal document in any country that that provides liberty. And it's stood the test of time, but it's been under attack. And slavery is one of the things. You know, how can a document that talks about liberty talk about some people being three-fifths of a man? The founders knew that that was a problem. They debated it. They thought about it. But they knew they couldn't deal with it then. And they were going to have to deal with it later. Obviously, it took a lot later uh, to deal with, but but they acknowledged the disparity there. And finally, the battle about amendments. You know, there's 27 amendments, 10 of them, the Bill of Rights. Finally, states said, I'm going to sign on to this only if we get this Bill of Rights 
And fortunately, they did, because it really describes who we are as a people. So fragile is is the accurate word. It was um, it was stitched together. Now, if you look back at it, there are different groups, Trey, who have since in recent years, uh, a progressive group, a conservative group, a libertarian group looking at the Constitution. What would you change? The libertarian group says we would say we mean it. At the end of the Constitution, basically, they wouldn't change a thing. Uh, the conservative group said, well, executive power needs to be more uh, clearly defined uh, and protected. The progressive group says the Electoral College needs to be scrapped. But for the most part, all three of those groups in modern day comes back to the same document that was hammered out all those years ago inside that room in Philadelphia. And I think that that tells you a lot about that document, the process, and where we are today. Which is so amazing, Brett. It is so amazing that a document written that long ago would, and and it's been amended, and appropriately so, and one amendment kind of undid one amendment, but really not that much, given what all that's transpired with technology and everything else in the world. It is... It is stunning in, in a lot of ways that they were able, dare I use the word genius, that they were able to put this together. I, I want I want to let our listeners know, if you like history, and I'm thinking about my dad, he would love this because he loves history. But, but even if you're not a fan of history, if you're kind of like looking at where we are as a country today and want to know how we can navigate our way through it, this is the book for you. And so I want to ask you two more questions. You you use the word fragile, which is exactly the right word for the for for the time. But there are people listening, Brett, who think it feels sort of fragile today that this experiment in self governance. I mean, we see prominent political figures calling for a disunion, for secession, um, which I always found interesting because the state she represents went for President Biden. So I, I don't know what what group she wants to secede to. But there are these calls for disunity. And I think your book can be a roadmap for how we get through these times today, not just what happened a couple hundred years ago. Do, do, I mean, do you agree that things sometimes feel fragile now? Definitely. And I read about it at the beginning and the end of the book um, and how you know, that feeling is pervasive. And, you know, you just look at my Twitter feed or X feed and it can be a dark place, you know, depending on what we're covering that day. Um, I usually, by the way, tell the uh, people who say, you're so anti-Trump. And then the next person will say, you're so for Trump, you're in the tank. And I'll say, Bob, meet Sally. Sally, meet Bob. You guys work (laughs) it out. But listen, I do think that um, it, it helps to look back in our history and it helps to ground us that we've made it through some of the darkest times. The founding of our country, which honestly was on the edge, was not going to happen. Uh, we made it through that uh, because primarily people like George Washington uh, thought that there was a common good, that they could find a way through the differences. And I think that's a thread through all the leaders that I've written about. Uh, arguably, Dwight Eisenhower is our most bipartisan president, working on a whole bunch of things uh, with Lyndon Johnson and Sam Rayburn and others. Uh, you know, Reagan in, you know, stood for his principles, 
uh, knew what he wanted, but also worked across the aisle with Tip O'Neill and others. Um, FDR uh, was sole, believed he, he was, you know, really the one that could get it done. Um, but in forming of the war, worked with Stalin and, and Churchill. Uh, and Ulysses S. Grant arguably uh, worked with everyone to try to hold the country together. So I think that is a common theme. It's why I started that common ground on my show, bringing Republicans and Democrats uh, together to talk about what they're doing together as opposed to always talking about what they're fighting about. So I think that there is a way forward to look at history. Before I let you go, I have to ask you about the end, which was the perfect way to end. Um, You close the book with Washington's farewell. The humility of saying it's time to pick someone else. I I just don't see that word humility uh, practiced or frankly, like really coveted among the electorate. Like like I wish it were the mm-hmm. humility to say it. My time is up. I pick someone else. I. What did you learn about Washington's character, the humility, and uh, and is it still a trait we look for in our leaders? Well, it has been waning as far as a trait uh, in recent years, obviously. Um, it was a big part of who Washington was. He always went into something saying, I might not be the best here. Just understand that. It was almost a, a preamble to taking the job, whether it was commander of forces or head of the Constitutional Convention or the first American president. Uh, I do think inside that farewell address, which, by the way, is read every February 22nd on Washington's birthday on the Senate floor, uh, is a blueprint of very prescient look ahead. He was concerned about partisanship and political parties getting out of control and hurting the fabric of our country. Pretty forward leaning. On, on looking back then. He was concerned about the debt and overspending. Uh, he was concerned about getting entangled in foreign affairs uh, to forget what we're doing at home. And, you know, Dwight Eisenhower's farewell address had echoes of George Washington's as well. Um, I think that humble sense of service is something that um, we as a country could look to. Uh, And one time to go, it's time to go. Most recently, let's say, uh, Senator Mitt Romney saying it's time for younger people to take this this job. He could have done it for a number of different reasons, but it fits the mold of saying, you know, it's time to get other people in office. And um, we'll see. My hope is, Trey, that somebody reads these history books, and especially this one, and some kid somewhere says, you know, I want to be the next George Washington. I want to be the next Ulysses S. Grant. I want to be the next Dwight Eisenhower. And uh, they use history as the guide uh, to get there because we could use a Washington right about now. Uh, So well said. That would be great if young people would look to George Washington, who near as I can tell, did not have an X account, Instagram, TikTok. <laughs> I don't, I, if he did, I, I never followed him. The book, ladies and gentlemen, is titled To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. If you like history, this actually could be a textbook for a history class. But when I read it, it was much more about where we are today 
and how we get out of where we are today. That's the book. The author is Brett Baer, who's got a lot of other things going on, including an incredibly popular show at 6 p.m. on weeknights on Fox. Brett, thank you. Thank you for writing this, and thank you for loaning us a little bit of your time on our podcast. Trey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Thank you all, and we will see you all next week. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.